On Friday, Rob and I talked about wearing ugly sweaters this morning. He didn't wear one at all, and all I could find was this, so we both kind of failed. But it's the best I could do. So this is kind of a cool day for me. This is exactly one year to the day that we first came to Restoration. But the ironic thing, <laughs> the ironic thing about the fact that I am teaching this morning is that we moved to Minnesota after being in ministry for 10 years. And when we moved here, I told my husband, we are going to find a church. And we are going to show up late every morning. And we are going to sit in the back row and nobody is going to know who we are. And now we joke that we should have picked a bigger church. <laughs> it was a good plan, just not well executed. But I will say this morning, I am grateful that we picked a church with no back row. And for all of you. And so I just invite you to pray with me now as we enter into his word. Lord, I do just thank you that even when our heart is not in the right place, you are faithful. That God, even when we give up, you do not give up on us. And so Lord, as we come this morning to talk about when we worship, may you reveal to us the things that are keeping us from worshiping fully. Remove the things that are keeping us from worshiping at all. And may you restore your promises to us this morning. In Jesus' name. When we moved here, we were told about this thing called Minnesota Nice. And I will agree that coming from the West Coast, people in Minnesota are genuinely very kind human beings. But I have also learned there are limits to the Minnesota Nice. For instance, Minnesota Nice does not apply to highways, byways, freeways, one-ways, two-ways, cul-de-sacs, or any other service on which a car moves. I do think that the use of a blinker would go a long way in creating some Minnesota nice. But I've also come to grips with that when that otherwise docile soccer mom rolls down the minivan window, it is not to yell, ya betcha. <laughs> right? I have also learned that though Minnesotans love a good sports team, you don't really have any. And so, though the Minnesota Nice does apply when the Vikings are winning, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> and so, there's not a lot of Minnesota Nice when you talk about the 68-yard field goal attempt. Or if you watched the draft last year when the player was recruited by the Vikings, and he actually cursed his life. Not only because he was coming to Minnesota, to the, a losing team, but he also knew how mean the fans were when you were losing. <laughs> but this month I learned there is a whole new place that Minnesota Nice cannot go. I have learned that in Minnesota you never mess with a man's parade. If you don't know, the Holodazzle Parade, which has marched down... Nicola, oh, now y'all know where I'm going with this, right? That has marched down Nicollet Avenue since the 90s was canceled this year, and in its place, they put the Holodazzle Market Place. If you go on Facebook and to the Holodazzle Marketplace Facebook page, you will find thousands of angry Minnesotans. And they have compared the market to a cheap version of mall kiosks, they have demanded that those who have started it should be fired in the same way they fired the parade. But my favorite entry on Facebook was the man who wrote, I'm pretty sure that one of the sickly reindeer died while we were there today. <laughs> but he continues and says, I can assure you that the reindeer went to a far, far, far <laughs> better place. 
it's not very nice, right? You see, we live in this world, this society, where we respond to every circumstance, every moment. We have access to things that allow us to respond instantly to how we're feeling, what we're eating, what we're doing, and how we, what we think about what others are eating and doing and feeling. We live in immediate response at all times. And so we are faced with the question this morning, when do we worship? And the argument can be made that we always are worshiping. That it's not that we need to be told and directed to worship, but that it is our worship that needs to be directed back to God. In fact, what is the first commandment? Worship the Lord with all your heart and have no other gods before him. The command was to worship him. The command was to be in fellowship with him and have nothing else that can get in the way of that. When he built the tabernacle amongst the people, he put a, started a fire, and what did he say? The fire should never go out. It should burn all day, every day. And then gave sacrifices and offerings and worship opportunities. When you've done something wrong on purpose, when you've done something wrong on accident, when there's something to celebrate, when there's something that needs to be cleaned, there was this opportunity always to come to the tabernacle and have fellowship with him. But the people of Israel struggled. The moment Moses went up on the mountain and there was silence for too long, what did they say? We need something else to worship, and they built a calf. And so when we ask the question, when are we supposed to worship, the answer is always. But the problem is we are so busy responding to life around us that we stop responding to God. On Tuesday night, we, uh, I had a busy, I worked 10 hour day, I worked a 10 hour day, and then Tegan had a choir concert and TJ has swimming and right now we have two foster dogs which if you remember tell me I would never foster again I never learn quickly and I have two of them again so we have three dogs in our house and we got home at like 8 30 at night and we're trying to get everybody fed and showered and the dogs are going crazy and at 8 55 my doorbell rang and it was a young man in a reflective vest trying to sell me sighting for my house and I responded and it was not pretty. I w gave him a long lecture about common courtesy and not knocking on people's doors at 9 p.m. And his response to me was that the city of Lakeville allowed him to be out till 9, and it was only 8.55. So he, in fact, had five more minutes. To which I responded back. <laughs> and when he finally left, I thought, wait a minute. We live in Apple Valley. And I was this close to opening the door and running down the road to tell him, you're not even in Lakeville right now. And then had to explain to my children later that that's not how Jesus would have responded in that situation. But life happens, and things happen, and we live in this constant state of response. Things are good or bad. Days are easy or hard. People are nice or not nice. Because we're so busy responding to our present, we stop responding to the promise. You see, if we are going to be people that worship at all times, 
We're going to be people that live in a state where the fire is always burning. We have to learn to worship the promise and not the present. And lucky for us, in the story of the birth of Jesus, we have a beautiful picture of three people, four technically, who knew how to worship the promise and not the present. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read 22 through 24. It says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in the arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She would advance in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We see first Mary and Joseph coming to the temple as was customary to the law for purification and for the offering of their firstborn son. Two different things that had been commanded in the law. The first was that after childbirth, a woman was considered unclean for 40 days. Eight if it was a girl, 40 if it's a boy. I don't know how I feel about that. But 40 if it was a boy. And so it was the 40th day at which point she was supposed to come for purification. And it was also in the law that the first male was to be brought to the Lord in remembrance of the Passover, how the Lord passed over the people and in Egypt and spared their firstborn son. So they were coming to fulfill the law. And though that seems like a simple thing, we have to go back and remember who Mary and Joseph were at this point. They were two young people who, to all who around it appeared, had had a child out of wedlock. By all means and purposes, Jesus was looked upon as a son who was born out of wedlock. And yet they still came boldly to the temple to fulfill the law. I think that's pretty awesome, and I think that's what it means to worship, not in the present, but in the promise, because they had the promise from the Lord that the child that was in Mary was of him. And God had said specifically to Joseph, do not be ashamed and do not put your wife away. Do not hide her. For what is in her is of the Holy Spirit. You see, they were in this place where all those around them could have condemned them, could have stoned them, 
according to the law, they were unclean, unpure. And yet they came for the purification. They came to devout their child to the Lord. You see, we stop worshiping and start responding to our present circumstances when we become concerned with our reputation and what others think. How much of your day is spent thinking about what others think, what others say? And we live so much of our life in that response of, I think they they think this about me, or I heard that this person said that, and we live in that, and we begin to worship our own reputation, who I want people to think I am. We put our energy into that instead of worshiping the promise of who we are because of him. Instead of going to the temple as pure and clean, going to the temple to devout that which is most precious to us. And it's interesting to note that what it says they bring is two turtle doves. According to the law, that was a poor man's sacrifice. It was, in fact, a provision made in the law for those who could not afford the calf that would have been the standard. And yet they came. Can you imagine knowing you held the God of the universe in your arms, the Savior of the universe, and saying, all I can bring is a poor man's sacrifice with me. There's a lot of days where I feel like all I have is a poor man's sacrifice. And we stop worshiping when we start responding to the things in our life that we think are not enough. says of the people of Israel that they stopped worshiping God to, res- to worship instead the work of their own hands. When we think we don't have enough, when we think what we have to offer isn't enough, we start to try to create more. And we're suddenly just responding to what we have and what we don't have instead of responding to the promise that he is enough that he is sufficient, that he is the ultimate sacrifice. It's beautiful what they did. They worshipped the promise. They went to the temple because of the promise they had, not because of their present circumstance. And Simeon greets them there. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You have to remember that Israel was taken into captivity and then brought out thinking they were about to be restored back into this covenant with God, but God didn't give them a priest or a king. Instead, he brought them out and then was silent for 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. That term waiting for the consolation of Israel was a promise given multiple times to the prophets in the Old Testament that God would send a Savior, that he would console and comfort the nation. And we see this man who waited in that silence of the Lord. He waited for the comfort. He waited for the consolation. And he waited in the temple, praying and seeking. And what's so amazing is that it says that the Spirit told him that he would see the Savior, and he walked in, and what did he see but a baby? And he acknowledged right away, 
that is the Savior. This is not what the people of Israel were expecting. They were expecting a king with a sword to come on to the scene and free them from Rome and set up their kingdom. And yet Simeon recognized God's comfort in the most unlikely of places because his hope was in the consolation of God. We stop try worshiping and start responding when we become concerned only with our comfort which is so easy to do in the world that we live in the country that we live where comfort is so accessible and so easy to find it becomes so much easier to respond to how we feel and to try to make it more comfortable than to respond and worship the comforter especially when he is silent, especially when we feel like he isn't speaking, isn't answering, doesn't even hear us. But I would challenge you that if we're willing to, to wait, as Simeon waited, we may find that, we, that comfort and consolation comes in some of the most unlikely of places. And we may miss it if we just live in response how we feel. And then Simeon goes on to sing what might be called the worst Christmas carol ever. He says, bring on death, essentially, in the first line. I can die now. And then he goes on to talk about how this baby is going to create turmoil in the nation, when the nation was waiting to be brought back together, he says, in fact, he is going to divide believers from unbelievers. And then to Mary specifically, he looks at her and says, in fact, a sword will pierce your soul. It's not something we sing about a whole lot. The sorrow that's promised to Mary. She's going to watch her son suffer and die. The division that's promised to the nation of Israel that God is about to divide those who are willing to follow and those who are not, those who will believe and those who will not. True worshipers from those who are not. And yet Simeon has this overwhelming sense of joy and comfort and peace and says, bring it on. I can die now because I have seen the salvation of the Lord. We stop worshiping when we lose hope and peace. When we start to think that the circumstances is greater than the hope that God has to offer. In the face of a child, Simeon looked down and said, I can die in peace because God's salvation has come. How much more can we say with confidence, knowing how this story ends, the death and the resurrection, and the fact that truly peace and hope has come? How much more can we say, even in the suffering, even in division, bring it on, because I have hope and peace that no suffering can touch, that no death can have a say over. The story is told that in 1860, the Republican Party met to choose a candidate. And it, it was at a tie, and it was at a standstill between Abraham Lincoln 
and another man who I don't remember his name because I didn't write it down. But there was a tie, and Ohio decided to change four votes to Abraham Lincoln so that he was elected. And the story is told that a man stood up in the crowd who knew that Abraham Lincoln intended to end slavery, and he stood up and began to sing the song of Simeon. Because he knew that redemption was near. We can sing and worship and rejoice even when things are terrible because we know that redemption is near. Because the Christ child has come. That was the hope. That was the peace that allowed Simeon to embrace death and suffering with joy. To worship always. And then finally, we have a brief look at a woman by the name of Anna. What says was of the tribe of Asher, was married for only seven years and had been a widow ever since. What's so interesting about that, that being from the tribe of Asher, Asher was one of the tribes that had been almost decimated by all of the exiles of the people, all of the times that they had been brought into captivity. It was considered one of the lost tribes of Israel at this point because so few people from that tribe still were worshiping God. They were scattered throughout the land. So there was a lot of pressure from people who were of that tribe to not only marry but to reproduce so that it would not be lost forever. And yet Anna had been widowed just seven years into marriage and never remarried. But it says of her that she day and night stayed in the temple praying and fasting. That term prayer and faster is usually associated with mourning, with sorrow. And though it doesn't say, I cannot help but wonder if she first started the prayer and the fasting over her own life. The loss of her husband. The loss of hope. the loss of all the things that she thought her life was supposed to be about in so many ways. She was supposed to continue on the tribe. And yet when she rejoices, says that she is rejoicing because the redemption of Jerusalem had come. You see, her mourning, the prayer and fasting had started about her and ended about the nation. Sometimes we stop worshiping because there's just too much sorrow. And so many people this time of year are so aware of their own sorrow. My sister called me on Thursday night because she didn't know what to do because one of her best friends lost their five-month-old baby the day before. And she said, it's Christmas. How can this happen at Christmas? I was reading the blog of a pastor, and it was his second year of pastorhood. And he said his first year, he was warned, get ready for Christmas because people prepare to die at the holidays. And the statistics are staggering, the number of people that die around the holidays. And sometimes our own sorrow is so overwhelming, there is nothing we can find to worship about. And yet Anna brought her mourning to the temple. 
prayer and fasting day and night until she was 84 years old. Sometimes all we can offer the Lord is our sorrow. And it's enough. When we experience loss, it is hard to feel that we have anything to give. But what I love about Anna is that her mourning started about her and ended about the nations. Her rejoicing was that the redemption had come not for her, not for her tribe, not for what she thought her life was supposed to be, but for the entire nation. It had come. My hometown has a parade. It's a very liberal parade, very liberal town. It's a Christmas parade only by name. Every year I call it the Corvallis Agenda Parade. But we go every year. And there's nothing Christmas about it. The librarians walk through, pushing their carts, encouraging everybody to read. The 50-plus, get this, the 50-plus belly dancing group comes through. Two years ago, my son looked at me, and he goes, Mom, they really should put an age limit on that. (laughs) And then you have the, the people for peace and the people for this. And last year, Santa actually was marched to the parade in chains and handcuffs in, uh, protest to something that I'm not really even sure. But it is so fascinating to watch this Christmas parade because everybody's agenda gets in the way of it being a Christmas parade. And every year we go down and every year we laugh. And every year we walk away going, man, I wish there had been some lights. You see, our agenda sometimes gets in the way of our worship. We are so busy responding, we forget about the promise. We forget that we always have something to worship about. In Psalm 92, I'm going to finish, I promise, I never go long. In Psalm 92, I love this psalm. Okay, so I don't usually use King James Version, but we're going to use King James for one verse just because it's awesome. In Psalm 92, David says that it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to come into his temple, to give praise to his name, to declare his love. And then he says, I love this, your enemies, O Lord, for lo, your enemies will perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered, but my horn shall you exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I don't know about you, and only King James Version says unicorn, so if you look for this again, you have to go to King James. But I want a horn like a unicorn. <laughs> I was so excited about that, that that is what we're, that, talk about worship that goes against all odds. That is the kind of worship I want in my life. Even those who look like they're prospering, they're going to perish. But God will make our horn like the horn of a unicorn. But in verse 12 it says, or verse 13 it says, They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord in old age, will be full. And we'll have horns like unicorns. Isn't that awesome? So we, the great thing is, the veil's been torn, and we can come. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. 
just come. Your offering might seem small. You might only have sorrow and tears. Just come. Stop responding and start worshiping the promise of the king. Let's pray. Lord, this is a season (laughs) where we need to be reminded to slow down and remember. God, I just pray the things that have gotten in the way of us worshiping, if we've just been going through the motions and responding, Lord, slow us down. Remind us of your hope and your peace, your comfort and your joy. Remind us that in you, we are enough, we have enough. And Lord, may we declare that redemption has come. In Jesus' name, amen.